Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Tell me the things you're 
know, sometimes you win when you try to do things, and uh, <laughs> they might not want to name VBS Taking It to the Streets, but my new sermon series is entitled Taking It to the Streets, okay? So what we're going to be talking about, <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Actually, uh, the Doobie Brothers wrote that song for the exact reason that you may be thinking uh, that there had been way too much talking about helping people, and it was time we started taking it to the streets. And uh, so a very interesting, uh, it goes exactly with what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, and that's the fact that for the good news of Jesus Christ to really be shared the way that it's supposed to, we've got to get out of the church building, and we've got to take it out into the world in which we live. And we're going to be looking at a lot of different ways that that has to happen, but it has to start with ourselves before it starts anywhere else. So take out your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. This is in the middle of Jesus' uh, great sermon on the mount that you've heard so much about. And uh, we're going to be looking over in Matthew chapter 7 and talking about it all starts with you. In North Carolina, there's a judge by the name of Jose uh, Oliveira. And uh, Judge Oliveira is an Army veteran, and he had a, a man before him uh, that had been convicted of drunk driving, uh, was put on a plan where uh, if he got arrested again, uh, that he would have his license taken away, and that um, this gentleman also had to go to urinalysis testing. His name was Joe Cerna. And uh, it was found out he flunked uh, his recent urinalysis. They sent him back to Judge Oliveira. Uh, he was about to sentence him to jail. And uh, he asked uh, Cerna about a treatment program. And Cerna began to cry. And he told him that he was an Army veteran. He was a Green Beret. He had been in Afghanistan, uh, that he was suffering from PTSD very severely. He was in counseling for it. Uh, he'd seen his four best friends killed when IED. Uh, blew their vehicle all the way off the road, and a firefight ensued. And he said that uh, he was very sorry, he was trying the best he could, and he just gets scared sometimes at night, and that's what had happened the night before his urinalysis. Well, Judge Oliveira now had a decision to make. He had a fellow veteran standing before him with a very compelling story, but he was also a judge. So he sentenced the man to jail just as he would have anyone else. And so when they got to the jail cell and they put Cerna in the jail cell, he was surprised to see following from behind Judge Oliveira, who went into the jail cell with him. And Cerna said, what are you doing, Judge? And he said, I may have sentenced you to jail, but I'm going to spend all the time with you to make sure that you're okay the whole time that I'm here. And they began to talk about family and friends and other things. And Cerna looked at him and said, I never thought I would be in a place like this. My whole life I've been trying to help people. And he looked at Judge Oliveira and he said, are you afraid? And Oliveira said, why would I be afraid? I'm in a room with a green beret. This is a picture of Judge Oliveira after Cerna had just completed uh, his treatment plan and uh, now is, is uh, uh, really doing well. And it's all because one judge looked beyond the incident and the behavior and looked at the possibilities of what a man could be when he put himself into his shoes. And that's exactly what we need to do in our lives if we're going to take it to the streets. Take out your Bible and look over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. And the first thing we see is this. We need to judge people the way that we want to be judged. We need to judge people the way that we want to be judged. Verse 1 says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. 
In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you measure, it will be measured back to you again. And so very simple verses here, but very profound. The way you look at and judge another person is the way God will look at and judge you, we're told. And the way you measure another person and consider them is the way that you're going to be measured. And that brings us to the first thing that we see. Don't judge people by how you think they should be or even how they currently are. Now, let me say that again. You should not judge people by how you think they should be. Now, we do that all the time. I don't like your behavior. This is how you should be acting. So don't judge people by how they should be. Don't even judge people by how they are in the moment or what you see going on in their life. We're told very clearly, don't judge, you'll be judged. And the way you measure, it will be measured unto you. And yet the truth of the matter is we judge people every day of our life, don't we? We judge people in every single way you could judge them. We judge them, first of all, uh, by their actions, by their behavior, and just by things they have no control over. We judge people by how they look. Every one of us will judge someone just by how they look. We'll judge people on the kind of clothes they're wearing. We'll judge people uh, on their skin color. We'll judge people on the kind of job that they have, the part of town they live in, the education they've received, the money they have in the bank. We judge people by the sports team they follow. Have you ever been in a restaurant and somebody came in wearing a jersey of somebody that's a sports team that's a rival of yours and you thought, well, there's a jerk coming in right there. I can, I can tell you that. Don't need to know anything else about them. Told me everything I need to know about them. You've already judged that person just by the kind of shirt that they were wearing. We judge people by the house they have, the car they drive. We're very good at judging people. And then we judge people's actions. I see your action. I see what you're doing. You're a bad person. You're an evil person. You're not a good person. You're a sinful person. And so we judge action and we judge belief. Jesus said, how would you like to be judged in the way that you judge other people? Would you like to be judged that way? When you judge people by the way they look or the kind of clothes they wear, how would you like people to judge you? You want people to give you the benefit of the doubt or something. On December the 23rd, right before Christmas, Dawn had a breakfast with some friends, and so she was up and out by like 7, 7.30, and so, you know, it was a Saturday, you know, December 23rd, it had been really busy Christmas season. She leaves, so I go back to sleep. About 8.45 in the morning, somebody starts knocking on my door. And I'm thinking, who's knocking on the door? It's Saturday, December the 23rd. And I go down and open the door, and it's Dennis Anderson, a member of our church. And I'm saying, somebody better be dead, so I've got to say, you know, <laughs> as we get into this. And, uh, and, and Dennis looks at me, and uh, he says, hey, you know, uh, my, my son is, is getting uh, married to Margie's daughter. And uh, so we had a stocking made, like all of our other stockings, that Dennis's wife had made uh, for Tiffany. And so he was bringing it over so we'd have it for Christmas Eve. And so I'm standing there with my pajamas on, no shoes or socks, serious case of bedhead. And, and, I, and I, I look at Dennis and I said, thank you very much. You want to come in? And he goes, uh, no, no. And he starts backing away. Goes, gets in his car. I glance at the mirror going back into bed again, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I really look rough uh, right now. And I think, I hope he doesn't judge me by the way I look today and that he gives me the benefit of the doubt that I'm sleeping in on a Saturday. Don't you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt when you look at, at them and then they look back at you and you're thinking, okay, when it comes to me, I don't want you to judge me by my appearance. 
But if you don't want people to judge you by your appearance, or if you're having a bad day, if you want people to give you the benefit of the doubt, then you need to be doing the exact same thing for them. And so some of you may say, okay, but Chip, I don't do that. I really try hard not to judge by appearance or things like that. I judge people's actions. I judge fairly. I judge justly. And maybe you do. Maybe you look at people and you very fairly judge them by their behavior. And so the question then comes, how do you want to be judged? Do you want people to judge you fairly and justly by your behavior? Because if you do and God judges you fairly and justly by your behavior, you're going to go straight to hell. And is that what you want? I want God to be fair. I want God to be just. I want to go to hell. Or do you say, well, no, that's not how I want to be judged. I want to be judged in a forgiving way, given second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. I want to be forgiven when I don't deserve it. If that's how you want to be judged, then we're told that's the way we were supposed to judge others, forgiving them even when they don't deserve it. So don't judge people by how you think they should be or even by how they are, but give people that benefit of the doubt. Judge them that same way that you would hope that people would look at you. You know, uh, New York City Harbor, uh, by the 1920s, was one of the most polluted waterways in the entire world. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, uh, by the time you got to the Great Depression, they were telling People, please don't fish even though you're starving in New York Harbor. It's just too dangerous to do that. Uh, It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then in 1989, the city of New York decided to do something about it. And so they began an extensive uh, harbor cleanup. They've put over a million oysters in New York Harbor, hoping that they would eat away a lot of the, the bad algae and stuff that's there. After 30 years of trying to reclaim New York Harbor, something unbelievable was seen this year for the first time in over 100 years in New York Harbor. It wasn't until the early 1920s the last time this happened, and this is what was seen in New York Harbor. Humpback whales have returned to New York Harbor, but not just one or two that may have wandered in. The, the, the whales are literally using this now as they go from the colder weather into the warmer weather into the Caribbean. And it was so consistent in the fall that they were taking tourist trips out to see the humpback whales. And it happened for one reason, because people looked at polluted water and said it could be different, it could be better if we just do something. And that's how you were supposed to be looking at people. They can be better. They can be different. There is something more for them. It's not who they are or how they're behaving. It's what God can do in and through them if only given the chance. And that's how we need to be viewing people. Don't judge people by how you think they should be. That brings us to the next thing that we see. We should judge people like we would want to be judged and have treat people the way we would want to be treated. Look down to verse 12 of our scripture passage. Verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. In everything, not just every once in a while or in this situation, in everything, treat people the way you would want to be treated. This sums up all the law and the prophets. Now, Jesus only says that last phrase one other time. 
And that's when he was asked, what's the most important thing in all the law? He says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hang all the law and the prophets. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, treat people the way you would want to be treated, and you fulfilled all of the law and all of the prophets. Everything the Bible is trying to tell you is how to love and care and treat people in the way that you would want to be treated. That's what we should be doing with people, treating them the way that we would want to be treated. So if you want people to treat you with respect, how should you treat other people? With respect. If you want people to be helpful to you, be helpful to other people. If you want people to forgive you, forgive them. If you want people to be patient with you, be patient with them. If you want people to understand that sometimes you just have a bad day, you need to understand sometimes they have a bad day. If you want people to know sometimes you've just had a, a, a long time and you're just tired and you're not yourself today, then you need to give them that same benefit of the doubt. If you want people to help you when you're weak, help them when you're weak. If you, and when they're weak, you need to be reaching out and treating people just the way that you would want to be treated. You judge not by how a person is. You judge how you would want to be treated in that same situation. And that changes everything. When you start looking at people and saying, okay, maybe they were a little rude to me. If I was a little rude to somebody, how would I want them to treat me right now? It changes everything because generally what we want to do is treat people fairly and justly. I'll give to you exactly what you've given back to me. But when we do that, it doesn't do anything except raise the problems that's going on. You hurt me, I'll hurt you back. We just treat people the way we would want to be treated in that same situation. I try to do that as much as I can. Uh, people might say rude things to me. They might do things. And I'm always saying, I wonder what's going on in their life today that's making them act that way. Uh, or I wonder what's happened to them. Uh, sometimes you hear unbelievable stories. One time I directed a camp uh, for, for children uh, when I was in seminary. Uh, by the way, you never want to direct a camp for children, uh, whether you're in seminary or not. But, but regardless of that, uh, there, there was one kid in the camp, man, this kid, he was aggressive. He was mean to everybody. He had quite an attitude. Uh, I finally had, had, was fed up. And I told one of the counselors, bring him to me. He came in the office. I said, sit out there. Uh, I got out his form. I looked up. His grandmother was the address. I called his grandmother. And I said, this kid is awful. You need to come pick him up. We can't keep him here any longer. And grandma started crying. And she said this, I am so very, very sorry his dad passed away about four days ago, and his mom just couldn't handle it, got in the car and said, I can't do this, and left. And I didn't know what to do with him or what to say, so I just sent him to your camp. And suddenly, that changed everything. I didn't see a, a mean kid that needed to get out of my camp. I saw a young child who was deeply hurting and needing love. And so I called all the counselors together. We explained the situation. We begin to go overboard to work with this child. And on the last night of that camp, that child accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. All I saw at the beginning was a mean kid that needed to get kicked out of camp. But you don't know the story behind people. You treat people the way that you'd want to be treated. You don't see them by how they are. You see them as how they should be.
Pierre Habre plays for the Milwaukee Admirals uh, in kind of the B League of the NHL, the, 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 the lower league down. And I know everybody's a big Milwaukee Admiral fan. And uh, they were playing Grand Rapids uh, back before Christmas, and a big snowstorm came in. And so right at the end of the game, Habre got a text that he didn't see till the game was over, and it was his wife saying, going to the hospital right now, having the baby, get here as soon as you can. So he said, okay, we need to get everybody out and get to, the, get to the airplane and get out of here. And they said, no, the airport's closed. We can't get out. And he said, but I've got to get home. My wife's having a baby. And they said, you're not going to get out. And so he said, well, then I, I need to get a car. He called all the rent-a-car places. Nobody would rent him a car. They said, we're not even coming in tonight. There's a big snowstorm. And so he asked one of his teammates who used to play for Grand Rapids, he said, who do you know on the other team that might have a four-wheel drive they'd give me uh, for the night? And he said, well, the goalie does, but we just scored like seven goals on him, so I don't know if you want to go in their locker room and ask him for his truck or not. And so he goes and knocks on the other locker room, asks for the truck. The, the goalie's named Tom McCollum. McCollum comes out. He explains the situation. McCollum goes back into the locker room without saying a word. And he said, well, I guess that's that. He comes back out with his keys and said, keep it as long as you need. I'll get a ride home with somebody else. He got home at 6.15. His baby was born at 6.54. Got a picture of Habre with his wife right here uh, as as uh, the baby had just been born there, uh, made it 30 minutes before the baby's birth. They asked McCollum in the local paper, why'd you give him your keys? And he said, well, I didn't know what to say. And then I thought, what would I want to somebody to do? If I was in that situation, I'd want him to give me my truck. So I gave him my keys. Now that's pretty simple, isn't it? Just treating people the way that you'd want to be treated. And that brings us to the next thing that we see in our scripture passage. Before you judge other people, you should start with yourself. Before you judge somebody else, you should start with yourself. Look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you sit there all the time with a log in your own eye? Now, this is kind of a funny passage of Scripture. Jesus says that what we often do is we look at other people and we go, oh, you've got a little speck of dust there in your eye. I need to take care of that and reform you. And Jesus says, before you do something about the speck in your brother's eye, you might want to take a few minutes and get the log out of your own eye. So what he's telling us is the place to start is with ourselves. So why don't you judge yourself or measure yourself? And ask yourself this, if I saw me, what would I think out in the world? If you saw yourself, what would you think? Would you think, dang, that's a good looking guy right there out in the world. Woo, he must work overtime in that gymnasium. Uh, I, I bet, you know, I bet uh, he can't beat the women off of him, you know. Uh, that guy, he is the nicest guy I've ever met in my life. I'd give anything if that guy was my friend. What do you think when you see yourself? Or when you see yourself, do you think, well, I guess he had a few hot dogs, didn't he? I, I don't know what, what's going on there. Uh, do, do you look at yourself and do you think, man, that guy's a jerk. I, I, wouldn't, I don't like to be around. I wouldn't want to be around him. Would you be friends with yourself? Have you ever thought about that? Would you be friends with yourself if that was out there? So you start by judging yourself. Now, before you go too far with that, let me say this. 
How do you judge yourself if you're a Christian? Through the eyes of Jesus. And you say, hey, man, I'm a mess. God loved me anyway. He forgives me. I'm his child. And even when I mess up, I know he's there. And then you start thinking, wow, if that's how I want to see myself and judge myself through the love and grace of Jesus, then it changes how I'm supposed to be seeing everything and everybody else around me. If we just judge ourselves fairly and justly, we're probably not going to like ourselves very much, are we? Uh, The staff just did at the beginning of the year, we did a personal development plan. And we had like seven different areas for people to look at. And uh, I say, you know, don't take all seven areas. Just pick two or three of them and get one thing uh, that you want to center on in your your personal development. Not church-related, just your personal life. Well, I sat down to do my PDL, and what I found was I had three or four things under all seven. And, and, you know, so I didn't, I couldn't, you know, I had like 45 things by the time we were done because I had all kinds of stuff I needed to work on in a personal way. And so uh, my, my partner is Luke Lyons, who, by the way, is sick with the flu this morning. Oh, and uh, Luke and I sat down uh, and, and uh, he said, well, I picked my three areas. And I said, well, I've got 45 here that I need to work on. And, you know, and he said, well, should you have narrowed it down a little bit? And I said, I did narrow it down. You know, these are the things I need to work on. If you judge yourself fairly and justly, it's not going to look very good. But that's not how you are supposed to judge yourself. You judge yourself as a child of God, forgiven, restored, redeemed, that God loves. You are a child and beloved by God, and you see yourself in an entirely different way. You are a prince and a princess of the Savior of this world, and it changes everything. So you don't walk around with an arrogant attitude thinking you're better than people. You walk around with an attitude of grace and love and forgiveness, and it changes everything. When we walk around with this attitude of like, I'm good, I deserve it, uh, all the rest of the world's bad, uh, that attitude doesn't get us very far. I want to show you what I'm talking about. I got a picture of two horses here who saw snow for the first time in our recent snowstorm. And I want to show you their reaction when they saw snow. <laughs> so. Come out, got a little jaunt to your step, feeling good about yourself, and then you look around and you want to get back as quick as you can. When Christians start thinking they're better than other people, they miss the whole point of where they got how they are. It's not because you're a good person that you're sitting here. It's because you got a good God who loves you and forgives you. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture passage. We need a clearer vision of ourselves if we're going to take it to the streets. A clearer vision of ourselves if you're going to take it to the streets. So look down to verse 5, verse 5 of our scripture passage. You hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there's two ways for us to look at the world. One way for us to look at the world is this. Okay, I'm a good person. Uh, I try hard, I believe all the right things, and there's a lot of bad people out there who don't measure up that I need to stay away from. 
That's a message to take to the streets, isn't it? I'm a good Christian, and there's a lot of bad people out there, and I want to keep you bad sinners away from me. Woo, good news. People flock to that all over the world. Look at that good person so much better than us. Uh, you know, that's how they see us, you know. And so when that happens, how does the world see what's going on? You're better than others. You've got such good morals. You've got such strong beliefs. You preach at everybody, and then you mess up one time, and they love it, and they laugh, and they say, look at the hypocrite. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And why do they say that? Because our attitude is, I'm a good, strong, moral person. And then they see that we have flaws and we mess up just like everybody else. And they latch on to it. Because our faith is about good morals and good standing. And it's not about life and love from God. And so when they see it, they do exactly what Jesus says in our scripture. You hypocrite, you're preaching at me and you got a log in your own eye. The world loves it when Christians fail, when we act like we're such good moral people. But if you go to the world and what you say to them is, I'm a mess. I mess up all the time. But I have a God who loved me despite myself and who forgives me and has restored me and is with me every day to help and encourage me. And when I still have things that I mess up on and that I don't get right, he's right there to forgive me and put me back on my feet and get me going again. When the world hears that message, they don't yell hypocrite because there's nothing hypocritical about it. When they hear that message, they hear good news and they run to it. We need to be a church that is giving the good news of Jesus that comes from the fact that we're not perfect, we're forgiven. We're getting better, we're doing things at a higher level. You think I'm bad now? You should have seen me a year ago. You know, that, that's, that's the attitude we need to be giving to people instead of I'm so much better than you are. That's a message the streets need to hear if we're going to take it. That the old can become new. The fallen can become restored. The prideful be humbled. The wanderers can find a home. The weak can become strong. That the worst sinners can become the greatest disciples. And when the world hears that message, they respond to it because it's a message that everybody needs and that we all want to hear. I'm not saved because I'm good. I'm saved because Jesus loved me and forgave me. And I'm trying to do better and get better, but God is there with me every single day. The world flocks to a message like that. Aaron Dogan owns a, a, a gym in Turkey, and one of his customers was leaving the other day and saw a, a, a boy that was uh, looking inside uh, at, the, at the gym and took a picture and put it on social media. It was a shoeshine boy down the street. And he said, everybody dreams of one day coming and working out in our gym, even the shoeshine boy. Well, Aaron Dogan saw that, and he saw something different. Because Aaron Dogan, when he was a little boy, used to look into a gym and said, you know what, I would give anything if I could just work out in that gym. And so he went and found the shoeshine boy. And when he found him down the street, he said, hey, I want to give you a lifetime membership. I'm going to buy you some workout clothes and gloves. I'm going to be your personal trainer, and it's all free. I just want to help you because I had people help me 
when I was your age. And so this is a picture of, of the two together right there. Uh, he's coming to the gym. They're going to start working out. The young boy is, turned out to be a refugee from Syria. His name is Muhammad Khalid. And Muhammad said, I always dreamed of working out in a gym. I never thought I would get the opportunity. Why did that happen? Because one man looked at another one and said, I wished that someone would have treated me this way. That's how I'm going to treat him. We're talking about taking it to the streets. And if we're going to take it to the streets, the place it has to start isn't with the streets. It's not looking out and saying, oh, those poor, bad, sinful people. That's not where it starts. It starts with ourselves. It starts with you looking at yourself and saying, I can't believe that Jesus loved me so much that he suffered and died on the cross for my sins. I can't believe that God has forgiven me of some of the things that I've done. I can't believe I'm a child of God and I'm going to heaven forever. I am so grateful for what God has done to me. I want everybody in the world to know, not because they're poor sinners that need help, but because it's good news that everybody needs to hear. And when you start with yourself and you go with that message, people are going to hear and people are going to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you loved us when we didn't deserve it. There's not a person in this room that is here because they're good people that made the grade. We're here because we're forgiven people through your love and sacrifice. Let us give that same love to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this invitation time, and uh, during this time, there's several things that you can do. Come pray at this altar, needs and things going on in your life. Uh, you can come and say, I want to join this church, be a part of what this church is doing to take it in the streets. Uh, you can come at this time and say, more than anything else, I want that good news in my life. I want, to, I want Jesus Christ in my life. I want to follow him as Lord and Savior, and you give your life to him. This is your time and your opportunity as we stand together and we sing. of
hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.